Hey, everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and, of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. Now, today I have a wonderful and special guest. My friend, Allison Rosen, who is a writer and podcaster. You can check her out. I'll put all her links in the description. We are going to answer some of your questions and chat about relationships. Let's just get into it. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for being on. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. We are, you're our first Zoom recording. We're trying to make this work. I'm not very technologically savvy. I'm very honored. And also in the midst of quarantine, the fact that I'm your first Zoom video is even more special. I know, right? I mean, we've done the video regular thing, but I've never had to invite people. Like, you were my first invite. Well, oh, I feel so honored. Thank you. This is very exciting. I So I host podcasts, and I had a firm rule for years, which is I only do in person. Like, I was pitched guests, really good guests, um, and, you know, the publicist would be like, are you interested in having this person on your podcast? And I'd be like, of course I am. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, he's in New York. Can you da da da? And then I would say, oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I only ever do it in person, just because it's. I just like the feeling of being of being able to like feel. I, my interviewing is so based on like the feeling, you know. Totally, um, it, there's an energy in the room, and it's it's just like anything. Meeting someone in person is very different from Zoom, which is kind of why we're like missing people right. lately, you know? Right. So. Uh, once this started though, I've had to switch everything to zoom. So I'm an old pro at zoom, even though (laughs) my soul is in conflict over it. Yeah. Well, I agree with you though. Um, it is preferred to be in person, like over the years on YouTube, not that I've, I haven't been in podcasting very long. This is our 30th episode. Oh, wow. So yeah. So brand like we're totally green. I know just a little (laughs) podcast baby, but YouTube, I have like, I don't know, over 1200 videos or something. Mm -hmm. And we've done collaborations in person, which are awesome. And then collaborations distanced where you, they record their bits and then you piece it together. It just, it doesn't work. It's right. not as good, you know? Right. Right. You miss and that. Like, I don't know something about it. Are you doing therapy? You have a practice, right? Yes. A, a small private, like two half days a week is what I allot to that. And are you doing any of that virtually? All of it. Yeah. How's that? It's not as good, but the alternative is for people to wear masks in my office. Mm-hmm. And also I'm in a big medical building and there's a lot of people coming and going. I don't know. It. I've been over to the office just to kind of see what it's like. And there's so many touch points and, and I have anxious. Pa- I mean, obviously I have anxious patients already right. and we've thought we've discussed it. Um, but I don't know if I'll go back mm-hmm. there. Uh, for many reasons, but one being it's a big medical office and a medical building, and I don't really want to be in that. But 
wearing a mask in an office that removes like most of what I would read off of people. Totally. There are those masks, which I've only seen pictures of. I mm-hmm. haven't ever seen one in person, but the masks that have the clear panel. Yes, I've uh, I've heard of those and seen those on like Instagram, but I haven't seen right. them in practice. But but yeah, that would be awesome because not only do you miss like smiles from strangers, you know, like sometimes right. I wave at people just to mm-hmm. let them know I'm friendly. I try to just like <laughs> smize in a really I probably look constipated <laughs> trying to make my eyes super, super duper smiley. <laughs> like what's wrong with her? Just pass the gas. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Have you had your coffee uh, today? No. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm walking. Um, <laughs> get things moving. I, uh, I have ther- weekly therapy and I've been doing it over FaceTime. And at the beginning, I really resisted it. Um, yeah. I really like I'm a, I, I'm a person who in general, I can be very introverted and I don't like to leave my house. And yet for therapy, I always prefer to just like, for years now, I always prefer to go in person. I just feel like I get so much more. So yeah. beginning, I was like, I don't, you know, I, I actually prefer to just have a phone call. The very first pandemic session I had was just a phone call. I didn't want the FaceTime part of it. But now I do mm. it over FaceTime. And I feel like maybe I'm either I'm forgetting about what it's like in person or I've acclimated. So I feel yeah. like I'm kind of getting just as much out of it. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's a mixed bag for me. Like. I'm glad you're acclimating. And I th- we're really adaptive people, right? So we can right. totally get used to it. But I had, I definitely had some resistance from patients who were just like, well, let's just, we'll just hold off for two weeks. And right. then totally things like the progressed. <laughs> They're like, okay, oh, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out. And I do FaceTime as well. That's the, what I use also. Um, Cause we can't use Zoom or Skype. They're not like HIPAA compliant. There's certain. Oh, is that why? Okay. Cause yeah. I was wondering why we weren't using Zoom. Yeah, and Got I've heard it. from other people that Zoom like opened up a Zoom healthcare, but um, I don't know. Oh. I just we already do FaceTime. It's just what it is. Right. But I don't like the fact that I like you could be put together. Like, trust me, I'm wearing sweatpants right now, but you can't <laughs> see. <laughs> and so, as a therapist, you like to make sure people are like be able, they're able to take care of themselves and stuff, mm-hmm. and like doing all that. Um, not to mention the privacy component. Like, I like going into the office to see my therapist. Like. I enjoy that. First of all, it's the nice ritual of it, right? I get in my car, I I get my water bottle ready, you know, my tissues, yada, yada, I head down. But now there's none of that. And then also it's like the privacy of being somewhere nobody can hear anything. You get to... Right. I have a studio that is a separate structure from my house. But I mean, it's like, you know, it's just in the backyard. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I... Just today, actually, I was thinking I need to have someone go stand outside the studio and just tell me how soundproof it actually is. Yeah, I because I talk you... all sorts of shit about my. I can swear, right? Of course, one hundred shit about my husband and kids out here. That's the whole point of therapy for me. Um, even though I love them. Wait, I have a question though. So this is yeah. fascinating to me. You said that you like to be able to see whether your uh, patients are like taking care of themselves and stuff. I've always wondered, do therapists notice what you're wearing? If you have makeup on how you look? Yes. And no. I mean, it's not really about like makeup on it. Be It's more about what you're like normally mm-hmm. and then seeing if that shifts. Okay, good. I've set the bar so low for my therapist. <laughs> Me too. I don't, <laughs> I don't like to wear makeup anyways yeah. or, or real pants or bras. I mean, it's right. Life's hard enough. <laughs> I think I've worn the exact same thing 
every single time I've had therapy. But she, yeah. for all she knows, I'm changing my pants all the time. But oh, of, of course, <laughs> yeah. Also, it's only I mean, once a week, right? So yeah, in pa- in the pandemic, I mean, I've worn the exact same thing. I don't mean in general. Yeah, that, I don't gotcha. know if that makes it better. We're now on like month six, <laughs> <laughs> not like year two, or whatever. right? Um, but yeah, I think it's just about like noticing if there's changes because mm-hmm. we're supposed to pay attention to the fact that if you normally are very done up, like I do have one patient who is particularly high maintenance. Mm-hmm. And if she all of a sudden came in in sweatpants, I'd be like, what is happening? Like right. something's wrong, you know? And so I think it's more about that, less about like looking put together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I have a patient I had for years who wouldn't, she would never wear short sleeves. It was always long sleeves, but wearing short sleeves would be like a sign of like things are moving forward. She's feeling safer, better. Right. So there's just things you look out for. And we're missing a lot of that, I think, over like Zoom or FaceTime yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But- my therapist told me that another therapist refers to it as therapy with a condom. Kind of. That's a great analogy. <laughs> I get, I, It's not mine to give, but I'm giving it to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that I even know, you know what I mean? Like, not right. that I understand that fully either, but it's <laughs> <I know>. still, <laughs> but I understand the, like what it's relating to. And it right. does, there is this like a, a separation. Remove. Yeah. Can I ask so, you another uh, behind yeah, the course. scenes therapist question? Of course. Do you take notes and like, what are these notes <laughs> like? Because I remember, always want to know. They do. Because I remember years ago. A friend of mine, we had the same therapist, and she felt like the therapist who didn't take notes had a tape recorder somewhere. But I, oh, if no. so, I never saw it. No. If they don't take notes, that's just not their style. We okay. can't record, or at least in California, again, every state has different rules and regulations, but we can't record you in any fashion unless mm-hmm. we let you know. And some, I mean, I've back in the day when I was doing my training, I, you would record sessions, uh, video and audio. Right. So that I could look at them and then get critiqued and learn more. And it was really helpful. Um, but they have to sign off on it. Got it. Yeah. So- my my first therapy experience was I went to a counselor who worked in the student center at my college. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I did that too. She, you mean you, you taught. I went. You, you went. Yeah. Um, and she was in the process of getting her PhD, I think. And she had a tape recorder, but it was very like. Right there on the table yes. between us. And and that's the thing. Usually they mention it and they'll say, I'm going to do this. And you're like, okay. And usually yeah. they're, they record you either saying it's okay or have you signed something or whatever. Right. Um, because of confidentiality, because that's really important. But not everybody. So I do take notes um, and I'll have, I'm old school. I know some people like type everything up. I write it down. I just feel like a computer is a very untherapeutic thing to have up. Yes. And and some people do like the iPad thing and it kind of looks like a notebook. I just do old fashioned legal pads on a thing. And the mainly the things I take notes of are symptoms as they're mentioned. So mm-hmm. you might be telling me a story and not thinking anything of it, but I'm like, oh, that sounds a little OCD. And I'll right. put OCD question mark and then I'll make a note of the story. I'll be like story about, uh, I don't know, sister coming to visit, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And and then I take notes of ages, names of important people, because that's kind of hard to remember sometimes. Like, oh, which one of your sisters is younger than you? Or right. how many kids does your, your you know, cousin have? You know, there's lots of, like, family tree stuff that I take notes about. And then oh, some of it is, like, then, then at the end. So those are the notes I take during session. And then at the end, I write, like, a synopsis and I uh, 
make little asterisks and say homework, like HW, and then I tell, like, write down so I don't forget to mention it to you next time. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. I always tell people, like, you don't really want to read your notes because it's not very warm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's not like Allison, uh, you know, showed up on time and appears in good. It's it's very weird. It's like. Sounds like it's uh, efficient. It'd be like patient, which is PT, period. So it'd be like mm-hmm. PT showed up on time. And some people do OT on time. Like there's all these weird, it's just shorthand. And they'll right. be like, um, you know, hygiene seemed good, uh, appeared to be present, not tired, talked a lot about, you know, so it's these weird truncated, right. it's not a good read. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's interesting. That makes sense. And so that's kind of what it what it is. And then it allows us to go back later and be like, oh, look, remember when you were talking about this and your anxiety was so high, you had to cancel the last minute for that. Now you're fine. Mm-hmm. And then we can see like progress. And so it's helpful. But right. yeah, it's not it's not exciting. It, I don't think it's helpful. Like, I don't even want to read my own notes like from my therapist. Um, I'm pretty sure she's like patient cries every session, regardless <laughs> of content. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's kind of what it is but I, a lot of people wonder and mm-hmm. i mean well, I like, yeah you know you want it's like they're writing about you you're like right what 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 is, what is that let me well i think there's this idea that like wait do you have me all figured out because if mm-hmm. so just cut to the chase and tell me like what the what the bottom line is and then we can you know make this yeah. faster <laughs> and there might be things like that i mean there's definitely things like that where mm-hmm. it's like we see a pattern, but and everybody, if anybody out there is listening to this, your therapist should not tell you those. Right. Like, because why? Because I know that that's considered like going too fast, right? Yes. It's going too fast because it could be damaging. Like imagine, um, imagine you were uh, in a relationship and you've been in a relationship for like two years and you were like, sometimes he just drives me crazy. And we get in these wild fights and to you, it all seems very normal and very expected in relationships Mm -hmm. but from a therapist perspective i'm like wow i think he's a narcissist Mm -hmm. and that's pretty manipulative and i think he's gaslighting her and so i'll have notes like uh you know boyfriend is narcissist seems to be gaslighting i think there's some abuse going on check in on that later make sure we have safety plans in the future like i'm planning for this but if i just told you that like we've all had those friends that are like i think your boyfriend's an asshole and you're like well we yeah. can't be friends anymore like <laughs> i know i know i spend a lot of time thinking or lately i feel like i have been i think it's just this pandemic quarantine time has given everyone time to overthink or to at least <laughs> yeah ruminate mm-hmm. i've been thinking about all those people that told me the truth before i was ready to hear it yeah and how i you know, pushed against it and felt like, why are they doing this? Are they trying to sabotage me? All the defenses I had against yep. hearing it. And it's like, oh, my God, they were right. They were right. Well, they can see things we can't see. Right. That's why going yeah. to a therapist is helpful. They can see things that we aren't that we can't pay attention to because it's it's too difficult. Right. We're still kind of in the course of acting it all out. But like it, now. Yeah. I feel like now I'm at the, well, maybe everyone says this, but I'm at the point of life where if someone was like, that person's a narcissist and they're manipulating you, I'd be like, oh, thank you. I'm glad you could just tell me. Yeah. And I think getting older and also having some like introspection, like having the ability to go inside and be like, hmm, that was actually helpful. Maybe I should have listened to that. Right. We can be better at it. But there's the thing that I would never want to take away from a patient is the aha moment, Mm -hmm. which we all go through those throughout therapy 
And sometimes they happen a lot and sometimes they don't. But when you come to the realization on your own, it's so much more powerful. Yeah. I mean, I know. So I got into therapy when I mentioned that I went to my college counselor because there was this guy that I was dating. Uh, I don't even know if I was would call it dating. I thought we were dating. I thought maybe I was his girlfriend. I th- He was older. And I think mm-hmm. to him it was just hooking up. And yeah. I think he tried to tell me and it was just like, I was just like, that does not compute. <laughs> like, I yeah, know he likes, yeah. I know he likes me. He calls me on the phone and sometimes <laughs> he invites me over and he's willing to sleep with me. So he must be super into me. He's just afraid of coming. I mean, it was like, oh, we always do tech- that. Yeah, we're young. Yeah, we're- it was oh, so sad. And I was like obsessed with him. Um, I would drop everything to hang out with him. I would yep. go to parties at school and I wouldn't I wouldn't have anything to drink because I wanted to stay in a state where I could like drive to his house at the last minute if he called me. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I was just he was like everything to to me. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why. But um, my dad actually was like, I think you should talk to someone. And I was so hurt by this. But it was mm-hmm. a good a good thing that I did it. Um, I love that your dad said that. I don't hear that that often, that fathers are the ones to be not saying that men can't want to talk about things. They should. And I think we should encourage that behavior, but especially especially with our ages. Right. So we're, you know, you guys were a little older, just a little. That's a tiny, like, we're still cool. We're we're totally hip. We're hip. We're down. And we should be hired for anything where you need someone who's got their finger on the pulse. Exactly. 100%. We're wise. Yes, we're just we have a little bit of experience. Tiny bit old. So that means that your dad is that much. He's like kind of he, what people could consider. I mean, it's, it's you know, he's like in his 60s slash 70s, which I'm surprised. He's actually in his 80s. I have an older dad. Oh, wow. wow. Mm-hmm. Even he, more impressive. He had been in psycho. And I come from a family that believes in therapy a lot. So he that's had been in psychoanalysis. Awesome. Um, oh, that's long term. A thousand man. years ago. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, so I w- I actually would say that my family's religion is psychology. That but too I, much so. I mean, it can I be. think it my religion kind of is psychology as well. So and in fact, I have wondered should I have become a therapist at times. And I think probably not, but if that's the first thing I ever wanted to be was a therapist. Um and How so funny. I believe so mm-hmm. much in therapy and I feel like everyone should be in it and it's helped me immensely. Um I feel like the reason I say that my parents believed in it too much is because there was a lot of kind of like direct interpretations of your behavior as a child that I feel like. Yeah, kind of maybe like, didn't need to be there. Right. It didn't help. It didn't help. Yeah. It just yeah. made me sort of suspicious and cynical. And, and anyway, whole separate yeah. thing. But what was my point in saying? Oh, oh so yeah. Dad I told you to that, see someone mm-hmm. that my dad had recommended I go. But anyway, what I. It took me, you know, on and offing with this guy for a few years before I kind of realized that this was not healthy for me, despite the fact that everyone was trying to tell me that. So just to your point that like you have to you have to have the aha moment yourself. You have to go through the really hard stuff. And it sucks because you wish I think we all think like, oh, I just wish somebody tell me what's wrong and then I could fix it. And. I can tell you personally, like myself, I remember um, I had a really shitty boyfriend as well. This was like, I mean, I've been with Sean for, oh God, like 11, 12 years. So this was like back in like my early 20s, like I think I was 21, Mm -hmm. 22. Um, And I remember my therapist just saying like, hmm, that's interesting behavior. 
like he would call you at 11 o'clock at night and like if someone called me at 11 o'clock at night they wouldn't get through to me she would make comments like that and it was just like consider if if that's if that's working for you because you have to be to work at seven that's early you know it was all these like hmm right like planting the seed yeah and then I remember I forget what she said she said something to the effect of like she asked me a question uh, almost it was like do you do you think that uh that you that it's okay for you to say no like are there situations where you feel like you have to say yes it was something like Mm -hmm. that like um and the answer was yes I'm a people pleaser so I was like 100% I have to say yes I don't want to upset them that would be terrible I would feel terrible I don't want to feel terrible and but she asked it in a way that wasn't so jarring my defenses were down it was like an honest answer and I was like well no because it's not going to really affect me and you know you all the people pleasing things and it means a lot to them and so I would do it and blah blah blah, blah, blah. and she was like okay so so I'm going to tell you I'm going to repeat back what you told me and if a therapist ever does that you know something's coming and I was like oh okay (laughs) and she was like okay so you ask me what I asked you and I was like okay Rebecca do you think and then then she said back then to hear from someone else as a people pleaser it was weird and I was like I don't know it did not I was like that sounds terrible (laughs) and I had this moment of like oh my god Mm -hmm. that's just that's sick like what I'm doing is not good yeah it's so interesting when you you're able to see it in someone else but not when it's when you're inside yourself yeah it was anyway so that changed like shifted everything and she she was like I challenge you to um to have to set limits and express those limits it was boundary setting but she's like set limits with this boyfriend and and express those and then I'd, I'd like you to let me know like how often he goes out of his way for you and the answer was he never did <laughs> he right. wasn't. it'd be like if you with that boyfriend were like do you want to drive over to see me or you know what i mean right uh, he, so how much longer did you stay with him uh like two three months that's pretty fast i, I mean i felt pretty good about it and Breaking up's always horrible, even if you're the one doing the breaking up. Because I was like, "Ooh, how do I say it?" You know, um, yeah. Especially so, for a people pleaser, exactly. How do you let them down easily so they have no, they don't feel that they're in trouble at all or they did anything wrong? They're not to blame, right? Right. <gasps> how did he take it? Not well. Um, he kind of cried a little, and then I got really uncomfortable. But I did it at my apartment. So I was like, okay, I think it's time for you to go. I mean, it was so bad. So, but, but then it was good. I was single for a while before. And then the next person I dated was Sean, but it was good for me to date in that interim and, and uphold healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. Like if I have to be to work in the morning, I can't go out with you tonight. Like it's too late unless we want to do like an early dinner, you know, it was just regular people things. Right. That you had but, never put into yeah. practice before. But was it like for me, I wouldn't have been able to uphold those boundaries, not because I was afraid of disappointing him more because I was like addicted to the to his attention. Oh, interesting. It wasn't that like, I know it's better for me if I don't see you. It's like you're this is painting such a I'm not like this. any. This is so (laughs) I know a long time ago. These are past selves. That's why we go to therapy. (laughs) Um, It was he was like oxygen to me. Mm-hmm. And like, the, or or a drug. I mean, it really was addictive. So there's no yeah. way I was gonna not see him as much as I could. Yeah, because you needed How that. How pathetic! What a catch <laughs> I was. Pers- <laughs> we all do stuff like that, though. I think it's part of. Um, 
that's part of what I'm worried about with quarantine is is kids not being able to be away at college mm-hmm. or going to school. And as uncomfortable as it is and as terrible as a like, trust me, I'm not proud. And I had a boyfriend in high school that was like super manipulative and cheated on me. And I just dealt with it like all sorts of shit that like I don't like it was horrible during and after. But now, like way after it's helped us be who we are. Right. Like I recognize behavior in myself immediately yeah. now. And I'm like, oh, then. I can't do that. You have to say no to this or, you know, like, right. So it's horrible and it it makes us sound needy and ridiculous. Yeah. But you need that to sometimes to learn and grow because someone can't just tell you, like, even if my mom, which I'm sure she probably did at like the age of 16, when I started like dating being like, don't, don't let them walk all over you and you stand up for yourself. And if you people please, it'll end up this way. Or like, you know, if you give into them and act like they're your only supply for attention, that's not going to lead you anywhere good. We'd be like, Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you can't. No, you don't. It's well, because it's not what you want to. For me, it wasn't what I wanted to hear. Like, at exactly. All. No, yeah. It's all not... I wanted to do is sit there with someone and be like, and then he said this, and then I said this, and then he said this. What do you think it means? Oh, 100%. It, oh. <laughs> that's why I love Sex in the City, the show Sex in the City, where they just like yeah. take everything apart and think about it. I just loved it. And I have found that when it for me personally when it was the right person there wasn't that urge to do that because I wasn't in a state of confusion all the time like 100%. I didn't need to pick apart things he said and try to interpret it because I knew how he felt about me and I knew exactly. how I felt too and that's a healthy relationship that's why I don't like when people say <clears throat> not that this isn't true but I don't like when people say like oh real relationships take work mm, interesting and I'm like yes it takes effort, but effort is not the same as work. Right. And work, I would, I would rephrase it to be like good relationships are labors of love. Mm-hmm. So I don't do things for you out of pain for me. I do things for you because it's good for us as a couple. And I know that it, it essentially doesn't cost me anything. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't know. It's easy not to say that relationships can't have ups and downs because Sean and I don't have children and we don't plan on having children. I know that that is its own struggle and I don't pretend to understand what that can feel like as a woman, as a father, as a parent, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. But it should be pretty easy. Yeah. For me, the only thing I've always interpreted there, the way I understand relationships take work or marriage takes work or however you put it. Um, For the work for us is continuing to communicate when we want to shut down. That's the part that I have to push through when I'm like my emotion, something triggered me. My emotions are like, F you. I want to get away from this Mm -hmm. conversation. I'm angry, even though intellectually I know that I'm overreacting. And it's like (laughs) the willingness to actually just say all that. I have to Mm -hmm. tell you right now, I feel like shutting down, but I'm, going to try to talk to you about this and we both do that with each other we're but we're very similar in the way we react to things which is nice and yeah. also no I think I feel like it's good actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but Sean and I are the same and I think there is something to that because early on in our relationship I would do old behaviors like mm-hmm. I'd want to run away like physically emotionally be like you don't know me bye blah. like I'm leaving <laughs> and when we it was funny because I remember my mom telling me, um, cause she's the same, like I'm my mother's daughter and she tried to, 
she tried to my dad and her got married and then she tried to leave one night she got mad and came over to her parents house and her mom's like you have to go back home and she's like i am home and she's like you don't live here anymore go talk to your husband oh, you know wow. grandma i know holding up the boundary <laughs> yeah you go back you talk to your husband and i remember um calling my mom one night i was so mad at him and and i was like and he's saying this and she's like katie you can keep running but wherever you go there you are so i encourage you to go back and talk to him because yeah. I think you'll probably figure out that you're more on the same page than you realize. And I was like, ugh. You know, but it's true. You have <laughs> to push through the defense mechanisms of run away. I'll be safer alone. All right. the weird defense mechanisms no one we have. me, yeah. And so pushing through that and communicating anyways, I think is the, that is the work. Right. Um, your mom and your grandma sound so hip and savvy. Like us. Young, I, I know. savvy people. They are. <laughs> you know, we don't fall far from the tree. no. I mean, I think it's it's just like us. You've learned. My mom like had that experience. And I think she was in her own way, like passing it down to me to be like, right. you can't just run anymore, Katie. Like, it's not healthy. Um, but yeah, it's it's some things are hard to learn. And you have to. My therapist and I've talked about this on my channel a little bit. And I wrote in my first book about it was like how my therapist back in the day between me dumping that loser guy before and then meeting Sean, she was like, I really want you to be a little uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, mm -hmm. like they're doing things that would harm you but uncomfortable in that these are not patterns you're used to. Right. And like him, like Sean was not, uh, every other boyfriend I'd had before I could like tap and they would give me what I needed kind of. And he would not, he was just like doing his thing like a normal mm -hmm. person with healthy boundaries. <laughs> and so when you say tap and they would give you what you needed, how do you, what do you mean? Like attention. But like, were you, asking for it in a healthy way or were you manipulating to get it manipulating to get it and so it was me it but it's weird because people pleaser it seems like those can't go together but they kind of can because people pleasing is actually manipulative behavior right to get people to give yes. you what you need totally. and that's what sorry go ahead no no i was just that was something that i i learned because i thought oh people pleasing i just want everybody to be happy or whatever and my therapist was like no you you really want you to be happy mm -hmm. because you need everybody to like you because that's important to you because you need that attention. Right. And that's what, yeah, go ahead. That's what I realized is that not always, but like oftentimes in sort of a, in a, in a people pleasy person, the manipulation is because they can't just be direct about what they want or need. Like they're not even, mm -hmm. they're not even honest with themselves about it or they're not there yet. So they can't be aware of it. Exactly. Like the passive aggressiveness manipulation. Yes. And I'm definitely that person. Like that was me. And it takes a lot for me to, and I've gotten better at it over the years, but sometimes if I'm super stressed out, I'll go right back to those behaviors, you know, because mm -hmm. you're like, your resiliency, like your defenses are down. Right, right. And, um, but I have to push through to be able to say to Sean directly, like, hey, you, you said that and that really hurt my feelings. And sometimes I've gotten to the point now where I'll say it a couple of times to make sure that I really communicate. He's like, I heard you, like you told me and I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry or whatever. Um. He's like, you don't have to say it again. I'm like, okay, message received. Okay, like I've got to, you know. Yeah. But I remember when I graduated college and I was living in an apartment with some roommates. Um, so my first time, I for my first time not living, like my first apartment, because um, uh -huh. I lived in the dorms, you know, at school. And then anyway, mm -hmm. the, where I lived, not important. However, just that's <laughs> that I was in my early 20s, mm -hmm. um, which was just so recently, you know, since you and I are young and hip. So and recent. Just, just a like, older than the youngest people around. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> I don't know how old Zendaya is, but I'm just like a month older than her. 
Lexi's young. Um, but anyway, I was upset with my roommate, who was also a good friend of mine. I was upset with her for something. I don't remember what. And so I just did what I did at that time in my life, which is I like kind of gave her the silent treatment. I was really monosyllabic mm-hmm. and I was, you, you know, I wasn't going to tell her I was going to make her like realize I was upset mm-hmm. or I just wasn't going to engage. And I had this, this was kind of an aha moment for me. I realized at a certain point, like she has no idea why I'm being such a weirdo. She just thinks I'm being weird. This yep. is not accomplishing anything except to make her be like, what's up? What's going on? And so I actually, that was probably one of the first times I ever did that. I, I, I was like, I wanted to tell you that I was upset when this happened. And it was like such a, a, a healthy step for me to be yeah. able to ever say that as opposed to just being a, a weirdo and like be thinking that that would somehow, you know, solve the, the problem or communicate. I guess maybe I was well, punishing. It's a, it's a punishment, but it's also, I don't know what it is. Cause we all do that. Or, I mean, I've done that too, but I think a lot of it is like, we expect them to read our minds. Yeah. And I, they I might not be that invested in us. No. And also the thing that's, I find so funny about people, myself included, is that we think someone else's life isn't just as busy or important as ours. Like that they are spending all their time watching us and being like, Allison usually offers me coffee in the morning. She didn't. Something must be up. I must have done something. Like as if they're even at that level of recognize, you know, I mean, and you learn that in relationships, especially romantic relationships, um, you learn that more quickly because it's you're spending more time together and you recognize that like they're not even pay, you know, like I see them all the time and they're not even noticing the fact that I didn't do this or that this was different. You know, no one can read our minds. No one can see the future. You have to communicate. You have to say what your what your assumptions are, what you're thinking, why you're upset, all that. And yeah, it's hard. But that's that's the work part. Again, that's like the the labor of love, like communicating that my husband and I, we are both very attuned to each other. Um, and so we are constantly check. Like, I feel like I'm picking up on something weird and then mm-hmm. being like, I am in a weird mood, but it has nothing to do with you. Mm hmm. And then sometimes he'll, this just shows there's a little bit of the old me still in me, obviously. Uh-huh. Like sometimes he'll be like, I'm in a weird mood, nothing to do with you. And I'm like, mm, that doesn't sound like it really doesn't have to do with me. That you know, so I'll sounds push a like further. you're upset with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do that with Sean too, though. I'll do that same thing um, because I'll notice something's different and I'll be right. like, he's acting you weird. It. You can totally feel it. Because if you know someone well enough, you, you feel it. Yeah. And I'll be like, are you OK? And he'll be like, yeah. And I'm like, are you just not talking about something because it's stressful? And he'll be like, maybe. And I'll be like, OK, well, when you're ready, I'll be here or whatever. But if he does say like, it's nothing, stop asking. And I'm like, yeah, you can oh, feel, it's something. Feel energy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do the, the try to mind read. <laughs> right. But I do try. I Actually, I don't think I try. I should. My therapist feels I should try mm-hmm. to not do so much emotional housekeeping for lack of a better word mm-hmm. like to let him come to me if he wants to tell me something because yep. that would that be good hard. for him that is hard i'm supposed to do like i'm on the same homework schedule i'm supposed <laughs> to be doing the same thing because i like she's like you can't keep harping on him like mm-hmm. that doesn't move things forward right 
And she and he's in therapy too. So she's like, he should be learning too. He'll come to you. And he does, but I think and I don't I'm sure every relationship's different, but I'm definitely a more I'm quick quicker to get there than he is. Mm-hmm. So I just like have to wait at that that line for him to meet me there. <laughs> Even if I see him off in the distance, I'm like, he'll get there sometime. <laughs> right. Do you as a therapist have to hold back when you're talking to him? Because I imagine you must have therapisty instincts and things I think that you want to say. Sometimes, but it's a lot of work to think in therapist brain. Mm. There are some, I'm sure you have the same amounts that I do, just being raised in that type of family. Like, I definitely have more of an awareness. And, like, um, I see patterns. I can't help but see patterns. That's, like, what our job is, is to look for patterns. And so, um, for for him specifically, like, I'll see patterns of relationships, like, friendships, family stuff, and I'll, like, notice it. And I can't help but recognize it, but I just don't say anything. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. this isn't helpful. That's part right. of my work, too, is to be like, is this helpful information to share or not? Right. Most of the time, it's not. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough finding that line. It um, is. What I find is that there's things that I'll think where I think, like, if I were a therapist, I actually wouldn't say this. I would mm-hmm. try to lead my client to it yeah. on their own. But because I'm not his therapist, I'm just going to blurt out like, I don't like the way that person did X, Y, Z or whatever. Yeah. And I do that, too, like because I'm not therapist Katie at home really at all. So I will just say things. I'll be like, um, especially if something bothers me, I'll be like, that hurt my feelings. And you've been doing this a lot. And -hmm. I've noticed this pattern. And I don't know where it's coming from, but you got to figure that out. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, uh, so I do like I wouldn't say that to a patient. I wouldn't be like, you're doing X, Y, Z. And like, (laughs) right. You know, so you have to figure that out. Um, So it's a little more abrasive and a little more. Because you can be that way. Are your feelings ever hurt by things your patients say? My current Mm. therapist, who I love, has really encouraged me to be like, she was like, Allison, you can say anything to me. Um, And so if ever she says something that I didn't like or I felt like she was wrong or off or whatever like she wants me to use it as a communication petri dish kind of so I will even if it makes me uncomfortable I will be very direct with her Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like really helped me a ton because she's always so she receives it so well not that I ever say anything that would hurt her feelings but I'm just wondering like yeah I was trying to think I was like Rick going through all of my memories of you know, different patients. And I don't think anything's ever hurt my feelings. I I think because it's, it's different. Like, I think people have a tough time with therapy uh, and the understanding of it because we always think relationships are both ways because that's normal. And that's a, that's a a non-therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. But in therapy, it's, it's not about me at all. Um, It's all about you. And if I can be a sounding board for you to, like, I've had patients like, get mad at me in a way that isn't like it's not commensurate with what's happening Mm -hmm. and I'm like it's interesting you're so upset about this like where do you think that's coming from like I can like reframe it and I know it's not about me um so I think maybe that's why we don't really get offended but I've never again like like you said I'm never gonna say anything that's really gonna hurt her feelings like I don't have patients that are like you're stupid your stupid head and your dumb (laughs) skirt or you know what I mean like it's there's not that kind of behavior I have however had unfortunately had a couple of patients unravel and like scream at me 
um, because they were angry mm. and like threatened. Um, and everybody kind of, I mean, some of it's because like my patient was going into mania and was kind of already erratic and we were, you know, so we already called his parents. They were coming to get it. It was all fine. But I've had stuff like that happen. That's a little scary, but it wasn't, yeah. but I've never, never my feelings hurt. Mm -mm. So yeah. yeah, but it's interesting. Therapy's interesting, right? It's, it, it's a weird relationship because you don't know anything about your therapist. Like I've talked about this forever. Um, but my therapist is from uh, Toronto, I learned, mm -hmm. because my husband's Canadian. And she, it was like the second session. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And I was like, what? I, I like immediately, I'm like, where in Canada are you from? And it caught her off guard. I could tell as a therapist, I was like, oh, I, I overstepped. Like, I shouldn't have said anything. And she goes, I'm from Toronto originally. How do you know? And I was like, oh, my husband's from Montreal. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you said, sorry. I, I pick up on that. You know, if you said process, I'd say the same thing. Where in Canada mm -hmm. are you from? And, and she was like, very good. Like she was like impressed then with my like <laughs> ability to sniff out Canadians. Right. Um, I was like, I knew I liked you for a reason, but um, it was just funny. You know, there's things you don't know about them and you're not right. supposed to. That's part of the fun and the weirdness of connecting over FaceTime. Like I saw yeah. my therapist dog. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. More things are being exposed. Yeah. It's and I know what her, I don't know which room in her house she's in, but I know, you know, the layout of that room. And it, uh huh. but seeing her dog, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I saw a celebrity. That was, I don't know why. <laughs> I think because it's like you, you know, you covet this personal information about your therapist. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that connectivity is, it's weird. Right. And it's funny because I, I'm in a couple of groups. Uh, we kind of chat like through it's WhatsApp, but it's like these groups with other therapists and stuff mm -hmm. and psychiatrists and there's been a lot of chatter recently about where do you do these sessions now? Because right. there, I don't think people realize this, but there's a lot of thought and work that goes behind what's in a therapist's office and like how it's set up because we call it like the holding environment and it's supposed to feel very comfortable and very uh, at ease, yes. right? Like we don't get rigid couches. My couches have always been like overstuffed and very sunken. I remember when I got a new couch because we had a white couch. I don't know what we were. I share an office. So I was like, I don't know what we were thinking when we purchased that. <laughs> but everybody loved it because it was really deep. Other than a couple of my older patients are like, it's hard to get out of this. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be like, sit in the chair. Um, but we got these new couches and the response. Some people were like, this is so much nicer. And other people were like, where'd the old, like they had to grieve the yeah. The loss of where's, their favorite. Where'd my mommy go? Exactly. This was my cozy space and you took yeah. it. And so it, a lot of people have been trying to figure out how to put together that space that you're now going to see. Right. So that the it's not so jarring or it doesn't feel like it's revealing too much personal information. Like you shouldn't have photos of your family behind. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like things you have to think about. Right. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. I always think it's interesting how. In every therapist's office that I've been to, I sit in the exact same spot. Oh, do always. most people do that? Always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've had anybody. Even the funny thing is some of my patients who I only see adults, but some still have their parents come in or their spouse every so often. And those other people always sit in the same place, too. Yeah. There's something about that. And there's actually studies because even in school and stuff, you know, you sit in your same desk. Yeah, I always. I, yeah. I remember my yoga that. classes. In like a lecture hall. Exact same desk. Always. Yep. And if someone was ever in my spot, I was like, excuse me. I mean, yeah, in, internally. Outside, exactly. I was like, okay. <laughs> you're like, I'll sit somewhere else, but it just feels weird. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I don't know why it is we do that stuff, but that always cracks me up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is some research to, to get behind that. Do you want to hop into some questions here? Yeah, let's do it. We've got seven. 
And they're they're all over the place, which I love. Great questions, you guys, that you sent in. So this, let's start up. We'll just warm it up. We'll warm up with the question that says, hi, Katie and Allison. And they spelled both of our names correctly. <gasps> I love this person. Five gold stars. They said, I would love to hear what's your go-to activity when you're having a shitty at-home mental health day. And similarly, what's your most enjoyable form of self-care in pandemic times? Big fan. And they gave a big smiley emoji. Thank. I'm assuming they're a big fan of yours, but I'm going to say thank you anyway. I would assume yours also. Big fan. Thank you. Um, well, my what I do when I'm having a bad mental health day if it's bad enough, I will reach out to my therapist. Uh-huh. There have been times where I've definitely, there's been times where it's been like two a week or mm-hmm. double sessions or any of that. Yep. Um, but just if I'm like feeling bad, my go-to is to just get under the covers with, I have a, I'm very into a heated throw or a heat oh. pad. Uh-huh. I've discovered this kind of recently that nothing relaxes me like an electric heated throw it's like i don't have a weighted blanket it's kind of like that's my what i was just gonna weighted... ask do weighted blankets work yeah no kinda... i don't love those but i just i don't like i'm not a bath person i have tried to become a bath person over and over and every i get in and then i'm like okay now what it just doesn't yeah, how do long? it for me this is like a dry bath i just get under the warm blanket and close my eyes and occasionally i'll do like a meditation app but usually just and especially after kids where whenever my head hits the pillow, I'm like, uh, I realize how tired I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just get under there and I kind of either just rest or take a little nap and I totally, it helps me recharge and it helps put distance between me and that feeling. Um, I know that if I journal, that's really always productive for me, but I don't do it as often, nearly as often as I should. It takes more effort because I'm the yeah. same. Like I know journaling helps me and I talk about it a lot um, and people are like, oh, it's so hard. And I'm like, I know, like I'm not always motivated to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, that's it's funny because everybody has different senses. It's always your five senses that you're trying to like calm your nervous system down mm-hmm. or just take care of yourself and whatever that means. Um, for me, if I'm having like a particularly shitty day in general, some kind of movement makes me feel better. So I'll do stretches or I'll go for a walk. Uh, if I have time and energy, I'll do like yoga on my computer, even in pandemic. Like I used to go to my studio and I've been going there forever and it was sad that I can't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably my go-to is like movement. And then honestly, if it gets, uh, not even if it gets bad, I guess if I feel like I need to talk something out, Mm -hmm. I'll call one of my friends or my mom. And if it's bad, then therapist, same. Right. And I think there's a lot of judgment people have around like needing to go more than once a week or needing to double sessions. But oh, I did really? that. I didn't yeah. even I didn't even know there was judgment around it. I mean, people will I say didn't. that to me in comments like what you know, why would I need to she's saying I should come in twice a week. Am I doing worse? Blah, blah, blah. And I did that for like. Probably a year and a half, I did two sessions a week um, because my dad died. I did it for like a year. And then like for another almost years around Sean and I's wedding, super stressful. Mm-hmm. I was changing jobs. There's just a lot going on. Um, I went twice a week also. So I just needed more support. Yeah. That is, that's kind of my, my greatest, this is not answering the question, but therapy is my greatest self-care thing. Yeah. It's the thing that keeps me feeling, it's a huge outlet for me. It makes me feel so much better. And I feel like it's, I can't imagine 
what my life would be like if I weren't in therapy. It's a, it's allowed me to like have the life I have, I think. No, totally. Because there's something about, I think, I don't know, there's no real thing that goes behind this, but like my real self-care is like personal time where it's just about me. And I think in a career path that is all about other people, that time is very valuable to me. And so whatever form that can take, like, um, like if I, like my birthday's coming up. And so when I take a, I'll take the day off. I never work on my birthday. It's like hard and fast. I just don't do it. Um, I like to, I used to love to like wander aimlessly around Santa Monica where I live and like walk into different shops and, and just Peru and have no plans. Mm. Nobody need me. I turn my phone off. Like it was just, I think I need that like alone. It's all about me type of Mm -hmm. thing. I'm not at anyone's beck and call. There's nothing that I have to Instagram or I just don't have to do. I don't have to do shit about shit. I just get to be me and like fuck all the responsibilities. And I think that that there's something to that for me. (laughs) It's really recharging. (laughs) And what's been your self care in quarantine? Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of the movement stuff, a lot of journaling, to be honest. Um, talking to friends and my mom, I've made lots of time for zooms, even though I'm sick of the zoom hangouts. It's like, we haven't, we're kind of like you. We've been, uh, as Christina calls it deep in the core. We like have been quarantining hardcore. (laughs) Um, and because we don't have to, right. I feel like it's responsible if I don't have to go into work and I don't, I already work from home. Like, what am I doing going out? So we just get everything delivered and legitimately don't see many people at all. So I've been making time for friendships, like for those kinds of connections. And yeah. And then sometimes a good zone out. I'll watch some shitty television because I just want to. Yeah. That's probably my most enjoyable self-care during quarantine is we've been watching The Americans. Oh, um, I haven't watched Have you that. seen it? No. It's really good. We watched the first season back when it was on originally in like 2013. And then we stopped watching it. But my husband has been for, you know, seven years now has been like, we should catch up on it. So we finally did. And um, it's 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 really well done. In fact, last night we watched the finale, except I fell asleep. So I need to catch up on it today. And I look forward to that. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to live in another world. I I purchased. um, So I just finished writing my second book. And so I purchased two. Oh, thank you. uh, Two fiction books to read. And. Uh, people they're highly recommended it's where the crawdads sing everybody loved that book i guess and then little fires everywhere oh yeah and i love that author from little fires everywhere i've read the book the all i've never told you or whatever the other one uh, everything i never told you i think it's called and that was an amazing book it was part, when i was part of a book club when i had time for things like that and um so yeah so that's another it's like i get to just turn my brain off and live in another world right it, it's it's fun Um, so yeah, so those are some of our ideas. Hopefully that sparked some ideas for all of you out there. Um, this next question is about helicopter parenting. I don't know what type of parent you are and no judgments. We're all doing the best we can, but it says, can you talk about helicopter parenting, whether it's beneficial to a child or not? And what are some effects that it can have on someone going out into the world without their knowledge, out the knowledge of alcohol, drugs, sex, et cetera. Mm. I was not helicopter parented personally. I was, um, could helicopter i i feel like i was emotionally helicopter parented so i was um s- there was a smothering aspect to <laughs> the overprotectiveness i don't know yeah i i mean i guess it was helicopter parenting i think of helicopter maybe i'm too literal i think of helicopter parenting as a physical thing like your parent is just 
hovering over you. But if we're going to if helicopter parenting is like they're just involved in every aspect and like making everything, you know, that's really what it is. Just overly involved and and like no no boundaries. They're like in your business. You have no privacy kind of thing. I think I was helicopter parented, but and it was born of my parents anxiety. Um, my Usually dad that's where it comes is, from. yeah, my dad is a doctor and, and I almost feel like he became, I hope they're, if you're watching this, hi, mom and dad, you guys <laughs> did, the, did the best you could. And I turned out great. <laughs> I'm so young. Um, <laughs> um, I, sometimes I wonder if he became a doctor because it is because of his anxiety, like that led to a career where he would be the authority where he's in control of a lot of things. It's like a mm-hmm. way to negotiate this life and death fear, that kind of stuff. But so yep. he's a doctor. So everything from his perspective was worst case scenario, like instantly. Yeah. Um, and then my mom is just a very anxious person too. And so that, so yeah, I think I, I was the, you know, then version of helicopter parented parenting parent yeah parented and it made me um an anxious person who mm-hmm. didn't trust my own in I mean that's like kind of the biggest thing I I I work on in therapy is learning to listen to my gut and cuz I have I am perceptive and I have good instincts but I don't trust them and sometimes I don't even hear my own internal voice mm-hmm. um and I've come a long way but I used to be someone who you know, like if I was, this sounds so crazy, but like if I was going to buy a notebook, I would stand in the aisle, I would pick up like the green one and then be like, oh, but there's a red one. Maybe I'm a person who has a red one. And then like, oh, there's orange. I typically don't have orange. Maybe, maybe this is my chance to be, have, or no, I don't like that. And am I, should I choose the one that I like or should I choose the one that I think will look good? And like something like that would end up taking me like two hours just to make a yeah. tiny decision. Yeah. Um, it, I think that's the problem with stuff like that. And, and in general, our parents, most parents, but they do like their quote unquote best, which is not always best. You know, they're like doing the best with what they got, which depending on where your parent, what your parents background is, can be a hell of a lot more or less. So that's the problem with helicopter parenting is like we don't know how to make decisions on our own. Mm-hmm. And that internal voice that we all have innately, right? We have this like uh, this instinct, but because for years we've been told that we can't trust it, right? For many reasons, and that right? there's a right and wrong, and there's exactly the are high and ah, anxiety, and then it's overwhelming, and then of course yeah. we're like frozen in fear, and then picking a notebook takes two hours when it should have been like five minutes, you know, right. or, or thirty seconds rather. Like you look, we grab, we go, um. I try with my own, I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And I try, if I see them struggling with something, I try to just let them work through it until they ask for help. Like my one and a half year old was trying to get a toy off a shelf and he was reaching for it. He was like up on his tippy toes, reaching for it. And as you know, his little fingertips were pushing it back. Uh And I, my first instinct was to leap up and just get it for him. But I was like, he's not making any sounds like he wants help. He's not whimpering or, you know, any of the, th- he would probably just whine. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just going to, and eventually he got it, but it was hard to just sit on my hands. But I, mm-hmm. I figured if he's not asking for my help, there's, you know, there's, let's see if he can figure it out. 
Yeah. And there's something empowering to, for kids to to learn things on their own, because if we're always finishing things for them, doing things for them, and that's like a, a small example, like I'm not mm. telling any parent out there that like, if you assist your child, like that's terrible. <laughs> it's not a terrible thing, but it is very healthy for them to sort of, because maybe I'm not saying this is what he did, but like, maybe he would learn like, oh, I just can't quite, I'm going to step on the stepping stool and then I'm going to reach. Right. Because I've seen mom move that stepping stool. And I can get, I think I can get that over there. I mean, things might get dangerous because it's a child, but I'm saying <laughs> that like they can figure it out. And then also then they, they feel empowered and then they feel good about yes. what they did. Right. I could do this again. And we kind of want children to just like we want as adults. It really, we're really not that different, just no. developmentally different, but we need to feel empowered to make our own decisions and we need to feel strong enough to do it again. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I've done this and we want to have that foundation the goal of like our early years is to build this foundation with which we have uh, learned experiences. So we know that things will be okay. I know mom will come to my aid if I cry when I'm little. So I feel safe enough to go out and try things. And then if I get scared, I cry and then she'll come. It'll be okay. Like we, we want to build this solid experiences of safety, security, uh, belief in ourselves and our environment, safety in that, um, then we can then we grow into healthy individuals because we feel right. empowered to do things on our own. You know what's interesting um, with my three and a half year old, and I'm wondering if you if you have insight into this. And I know you're not a child uh, child therapist per se, but if Daniel and I, that's my husband, if if Elliot, my, that's my son, if Elliot does something and Daniel and I are like, oh my god, that's so great, yay, mm-hmm. which he used to just eat up, uh huh, um. Now he's like, don't talk about it. Like he gets very self-conscious and he has this very negative reaction to us doing that. So now we're like, we got to play it cool. But what, what is that? Is he three? You say he's three and a half. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's just developmentally. So there's a reason they call them three majors. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like they, they develop, um, there's different stages in the way that we develop and boys and girls can be different, but it's just child to child. So some children, it could be like two, some it'll be like four. But for a huge chunk, it's in the threes. That's why the three nature has become such a popular saying. Um, it's really so children go through these ebbs and flows. And I'm sure even as I say this, we'd be like, oh, so they go through these like needy periods. Mm-hmm. And those are usually periods of like uh, certain types of development in our brain where we just need more nurturing to kind of get through that. And then we go through periods where we test boundaries. We push mm-hmm. back. I'm going to dress myself. I do it myself. I don't yeah. want everything. Uh, he wants to open every door. If you yep. open a door, he then like scowls and then he cut. Co- yes. And then he comes up and does it himself afterwards because yep. I can yeah. do it. And it's part of that. I'm independent and it's a different type of development, right? It's like we need to feel safe. It's it's good, though. It's it's all good. It's like good that they're pushing back. I know it feels shitty and I re- never I'll never forget one of my friends when her boy was three. He'd said something terrible to her like um, like you always ruin everything or you know what I mean? Like little kids. <laughs> And and she was so hurt because she was just, she's like, he caught me at a bad time. Like I was, you know, working all day and right. my husband had been gone and, blah, blah, blah. and then she's like, and I cried and I was mm-hmm. like, it's okay. Like they need to learn that too. It's all part of the learning, but it's that boundary pushing, testing limits. Yeah. And also learning what they can do on their own. They're kind of asserting their independence right. and it's all just part of that healthy development. And they go through the phase and then around like, I don't know, maybe four probably closer to five they'll kind of come back in 
to the, but you know. I wonder if there's something about us praising him in this sort of yay kind of way that takes away the independence for him. I think it's more about the, I don't need you to tell, like, it's the, I don't need you feeling. Got it. That he's testing. I don't think it's so much of, because almost every parent's like, yay, you know, you're writing your first letters or you're, right. you're doing your first things. We get so excited and good job. And, and yeah. you did that right. And, you know, you cracked the egg and didn't get any shell in the bowl. Yay. Like there's all sorts of things that we do with children to like teach them. And it's like positive reinforcement. Very mm-hmm. normal. Um, but I think it's that like, I don't need you. Right. I know I'm doing it right. And it's that independence. It's yeah. that first little, it, it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's like the first time we realize that children are their own individual. Because they tell us no. Yeah. I noticed that the, I know you mean individual, like as separate from us. Yeah. But in having two and seeing how different they are, that yeah. it has been real eye opening to me. Um, They're just, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Like, Owen, that's my my little guy, my littler guy. Uh-huh. Um, his passions in life are cars, wheels, balls, and feet. He loves feet. If he sees your feet, he'll come up and he'll go diddly, and he'll like tap them. Oh, funny! It's very that's yeah. So and then he saw um he saw his little baby cousin the other day, uh-huh. and I don't think he'd ever seen feet that small. Oh and yeah, he really was, like, baby his, feet. He was just like staring like, what is this? <laughs> and he came up and like touched them with his tiny little. I mean, he's only one and a half. So it's like yeah. this baby, baby on baby. And with his little, I think his mind was blown by the tiny feet. But, but it's mostly <laughs> balls that he's super into. And like Elliot, you know, likes cars and balls and not really shown a love of feet or anything. But it's just they have very different preferences and different temperaments. And yep. it's interesting. Yeah, because they're they're their own unique individual. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean. And if you think about it, like my brother and I couldn't be more different. We're similar in a lot of ways, but we're also very different. And um, even as children, like I was super shy and introverted, like didn't want anybody to touch me. I'd cry if someone tried to like, I just did not want to be bothered with. And my brother couldn't have been more extrovert. Like, hi, hi. Like my mom had to leash him because he would like run away with strangers, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, children. Yeah, it's interesting. But there is that pushback and that that's part of the like independence and it's it's healthy development really even though it can feel shitty for a little mm-hmm. bit especially for you know parents now who we're, we're wearing a lot of hats we're doing a lot of things it's kind of overwhelming yeah and then to have them be like no i don't want your help get out or whatever right. they say in their well, little language usually thankfully most of the time i mean and there will be exceptions but most of the time i am able to regard it kind of in the way that you talked about how you feel toward your patients of not mm-hmm. taking it personally. Yeah. It's not really about me. I, I mean, I imagine when he's older, it, things will cut more. Um, but for now, everything is like through the, the veil of like, I get that he's just a little, a little guy and he's yeah. figuring it out. So I don't take it personally yet. Yeah. Well, that's good. And I think the reason we take it personally as they get older is their language improves. Yeah. And I know that that sucks, but they'll say things. We've all done that. If you look back at your teenage years, you're like, oh, that wasn't very nice. Um, but it's because we have all the language and all the emotions and hormones swirling to make it like this perfect storm of shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Young people can be brutal. <laughs> totally. Okay. Next question. This is the one about nightmares. It says, 
Hey, Katie and Allison, could you maybe talk about what exactly nightmares are? I recently started wondering because pretty much every night, or I usually have them in the morning, my dreams involve fear and anxiety and leave me with these feelings when I wake up. Oh, that's terrible. I hate that. For example, a recurring theme is being chased or having to run for my life, being harassed by an abusive ex or dreams involving abusive family members or teachers. I had a really hard time at school. I'm just not sure if these are really nightmares or if I have fucked up dreams since I don't wake up screaming or since, yeah, since I don't wake up screaming and sweating. Thanks for everything. So this sounds, and I don't know what your thoughts are. Having nightmares is kind of normal, FYI. Like everybody has some kinds of nightmares. I used to have these, I would always be running to lock doors. That was part of this like recurring nightmare of mine. And I'd either make it in time or I wouldn't and I'd wake up. And then I went through this period where if anybody scary came at me, I'd fly. I'd like kick my feet and I'd fly. Was um, that a good dream or a bad dream? They were like good. good because I was safe. Even though it was like scary, I was like, oh, I can always just leave. Like, yeah. Oh, look kick at away. And nobody else could fly but me, which I think probably if you really want to read into it, says something. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm not a huge like. You don't need to dive into your dreams and assume that every little thing means something. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to it in there, but not every bit of it means something. When it comes to this, I I believe that these are trauma based nightmares and it's part of your brain's way of saying, hey, remember that shit you didn't want to work through? It's time. It's time. It's telling you it's time to start processing it. Um, Because I do know through because the book I just wrote uh, is all about trauma. So I've been researching like where it is in your brain and like how you form trauma memories. You really don't form them regularly, by the way. They're like a mess. Um, But our brain will stumble across bits of that and we'll have like flashbacks during the day or nightmares or night terrors at night. Um, And everybody's different. But I would take this as an indication that, hey, maybe I should reach out and talk to somebody now. I must be safe enough. My brain is because our brains will protect us from those scary, uh, traumatizing, unhealthy memories. That's why repression happens because we need to survive. But once Mm -hmm. we're to safety, our brain's like, okay, hey, we can do this now. Let's work on this. Um, and that's my thought. Have you ever had any nightmares? Oh yeah. I go in phases. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was telling you that I, well, so earlier today I was thinking, because I think I had a dream about college last night and I can't remember the details, but I know that school was in there and I was thinking, and most people still, I think, have some anxiety dreams about school. And I was thinking, why is, why does school loom so large in our psyches? It's a huge chunk of our life. I mean, okay, think about it. Sense. And it's, it's the first time for most people, everybody's life is different. But for most people, it's the first time that we have another adult that's not part of our family telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I hated babysitters. I was horrible. I'd be like, you can't tell me what to do. I was that child. And I would just like then just go in my room and never come out like until they left. Um, I was horrible. But in school is the first time you have like a, a person that usually you like them or at least they have some kind of hold over you in a way right like you're supposed to do what they say and you get in trouble if you don't and there's like consequences right and so we have this person telling us what to do that's not our parent and we've been told that it's really important that we do well and that we do this thing um which there's so many unhealthy i have so many problems with our basic school system uh because children who don't do well in school because they think differently and learn differently then are you know they grow up thinking something's wrong with them when in fact if they just had a a different way of teaching they would have been fine and i hate that process and that outcome but 
that pressure is a lot for little kids. And so we we feel very stressed out. It's our first experience with stress and worry. And it it's in there for, you know, I mean, I went to graduate school. So on top of high school, I had six more years. So it's a lot of your life that's like school related. Yeah. Um, I used to have a recurring nightmare that a toilet was like overflowing and backing up. Um, I remember one, it happened on an, in my dream on an airplane and the like ground was filling with water and usually it was clean water, not always. Um, but that lasted for a period of time. And Mm. my interpretation of that was just like a kind of what you're saying, like a dam of emotion breaking. Mm hmm. Um, and just overflowing emotion. I also would have nightmares where something was happening. I had to like pack up a backpack really fast or whatever, like just a yeah, lot of like about gather. stuff and not being able to get my stuff into. Oh, one re- recurring one that I would have <clears throat> when I was younger was um, I was out and I had a date arriving to the house and I was already running late. And so I had to get home and then I was like in a, I didn't want him to see me not all put together. So I had to like somehow get to my, he was already there and I had to get to my room and it was the house I grew up in and I, I would open up the closet and, and it was like, oh fuck, these are my clothes from when I was in third grade. Like I remember <gasps> specifically, it's like, those are blue and white pants with balloons on them. Like, which is why was I wearing that in third grade? I don't know. But I had a specific <laughs> outfit. Like these aren't my clothes. And then I would just be like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And so I would just throw something on and then I would go into the bathroom to get ready and I would close the door and half the door. And this, I had this over and over half the door was missing. I'm like, Oh fuck, he's going to come. You know, so I couldn't get privacy in the bathroom. (laughs) Then I was trying to pack my purse and it was always like, where's my allergy pills? Where's my, and I just have hay fever, you know, (laughs) Like, (laughs) like where's my allergy pills. And then by the time I came out, finally the, we were going to a school dance and the dance was over. Like I, it had oh, taken me like, so long. Yeah. So that I imagine is like a late bloomer anxiety dream. That maybe. I mean, my my knee jerk yes. is like it's anxiety driven. Yeah. Like it's definitely the fact, and I don't know. I mean, you could interpret that's the thing about dreams, and why I'm not a huge fan of interpretation because if you think about that, if we were reading that in the book, and your your English teacher was like, "Hey, what do we think the underlying themes of this are?" There's so much you could pull from that. And I don't know if that's really true. We do know. So I'll tell you what I think about that dream. And then I'll tell you what we know. Neurolog, like what's actually happening in your brain that we know. Okay. Um, so in that dream, there's a couple of themes like the the clothes being younger. You is maybe feeling like you're you're not like uh, it's not even old enough, but maybe mature enough mm-hmm. or something. And then the the like feeling like you can't get it together enough to to make everything happen like i'm running so late in life mm-hmm. like i don't know and i don't know if that's true but that's like Th- you could that see is that. The, no that is true that was because it's like show up at the dance it's over what does that say about the situation yeah. right um and being so responsible like i need my allergy pills i'm being so overly anxious and responsible that it's like holding me back kind of maybe mm, that part i hadn't put together because and then the like closing the door and half the door being missing that to me is like a lack of feeling exposed lack of you have no privacy Mm -hmm. um but i also have had nightmares where like if i were to write them down i'd be like this is a good horror movie like (laughs) oh totally same totally like very very scary true nightmare stuff i don't and then like where i wake up i'm like oh thank god thank god i'm awake 
that's like the lock in the doors. It could be like a guy with a machete or a gun or something. And I'm like, yeah. you know, those are definitely terrifying. I agree with that. But we do know just uh, so people know what happens in our brain when we sleep is really that it's processing our day's events. But if we haven't gotten good sleep for a long time, like this is where things get weird for people is like if you let's say you just had a baby and you haven't really slept well in like six months or 12 years. I don't know. It's, it's all, everybody's <laughs> life is different. But if we don't get at least seven and a half hours of sleep at night, our brain doesn't have time to process through all the stuff and file it away neatly. And things can get kind of chaotic in there and we can start having these weird parts of a day from like years ago or months ago and it's woven in with today's and you're like what that doesn't make any sense and things are you know but our brain's just trying to process and file things away oh that's so interesting yeah my brain is different i don't even know what defragging means but i because i never <laughs> get i mean sometimes i do but for the most part i don't i often don't get good sleep so yeah old days are popping in there all the time yeah because it's like trying to clean it up right it's like yeah. the sleep is when our uh the fluid in our brain increases i want to say by like 60 percent, if i remember oh, my wow. numbers correctly and it's like our cleaning crew comes in and tries to like uh did you watch the movie inside out the pixar film yes yeah it's a great representation of of memories how they're formed what happens not so much just those main core emotions and stuff mm -hmm. but the the where they file things away and there are these core pillars like all of that and then those um the memories that get forgotten that go into the bin that really right. happens. And that's like our brain cleaning itself. It's like, oh, I don't really need this Spanish that you learned back in middle school because you don't really use it. Right. And so you slowly forget it. And so it is really it's really interesting. But sleep is is trying to form those marbles. It's trying to, like, put them together. Dang. And so um, we don't always give it enough time. They're like half baked. I was thinking last <laughs> night. So when I was I don't know how old I was. I want to say like eight, nine, ten. My mom's friend gave me a book. Um, it was called Beauty and it was like a Beauty and the Beast telling a telling of that story. Uh, and I got, I don't know, 30, 40 pages into it or something. And I put it down. But at the time, I was like so tired of starting a book and then putting it down and then picking it up and forgetting where I was and having to reread it that I decided like I am not going to forget where I was. Oh, and funny. in the book. And I still remember, I never read it again, but I still remember where I was in the book. I remember, but it's like the memory has gotten like smaller and smaller and smaller. So all I know now is like he had given her a box. <laughs> like, yeah. I have no idea what anything else, but just like but, any relation. But yeah, that. but it's just like he had given her. It was right at the part where he had given her a box. But what have I lost? Because my brain is hanging on to that one because I don't need it anymore. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that you've like, it's like a this or that in our brain, <laughs> but it's more like that memory was important. Like you told your brain it was important. So it yeah. like flagged it as like, we got to keep this. Right. But then it's like the flag is like all tattered and it's like, do we really need? And it's like moving your brain is like, I don't think, I don't know if we need this. And it's moving it closer and closer to that like cliff where it's like, this is a waste of memory space. Yeah. But because it was flagged, instead of all the other random shit we forget, right? Right. Um, that was something that it thought it needed to hold on to. But like, I feel like if I were to tell myself, okay, this is important. Don't forget this, this pin number or this, what, what oh. pin number is not good. You know, I don't feel yeah. like I have that much control over what I remember anymore. And yet, you know, like when you have to like memorize something for whatever. Yeah. 
I'm not good at that either anymore. Yeah. But maybe I think that, it's also age. Yeah. We're so young. But it's weird that we have that much other stuff competing for our attention, but But that's the thing do. is, like I remember um God, it was it was years ago, but it was one of my good friends and she had just ended like her first real love. And she said, um, I remember she was just devastated. And he was a bad boyfriend. It was good. And now she's happily married. That baby, it's all fine. But at the time, it was like devastating. And I remember her telling me, she's like, do you think I'll ever love like that again? And and I like thought about it for a second. And I was like, you know, no. And thank God. Because (laughs) it was really unhealthy. And it was like almost not obsessive, but it's that first love. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this definite period in our life. I'd say it's around like middle school going into maybe mid-20s. Where nothing's competing. I mean, yeah, we have school and people can say like, oh, that's super stressful. And I'm not saying that it's not. We just don't have life stressors in the way that we do when we get older. Right. right? So like you have children that require your attention for their survival. You know, (laughs) it's a lot. And we also just we slow We have careers. We have things we have people in our lives that like depend on us and we depend on them. And and our things just grow and our responsibility grows and then it gets harder and harder for us to like focus on what you know what we maybe need to remember in that book that we <laughs> I don't right. want to forget where I'm at <laughs> I used to do homework I would sit on the couch in the family room my dad probably had the tv on and I would wear headphones and listen to my walkman while doing homework oh yeah and I, I did fine now if I am concentrating on something and like someone's watching something in the other room, it's mm-hmm. distracting to me. Same, same. It's so different. Yeah. My okay. One more question so, yeah. and then we'll wrap up. Cause I know you've got a busy day. We've got things to do. Okay. So this last question, and if any of you asked your question, you're like, Hey Katie, you hearted it. And that meant you're going to answer it. I'll answer it next week. Don't worry. We won't forget these. We'll get through them all. But this question is, and this is a good one. It says, how do I trust and open up to be more honest with my therapist? I realize the more upset I am, the more silent I become since I learned from a young age that it's better to not um, to just not express your feelings. This makes it hard for me to talk about the things that really bothered me as I'm afraid of being vulnerable. That's it's hard. I feel like I'm stuck in therapy, although my therapist had told me that I had made a lot of progress. And I love this. People say, sorry for my terrible English. Your English is impeccable. It's better than most people who speak English regularly. So don't worry. So yeah, opening up to your therapist. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I have been trying to be a lot more open and direct with my therapist. And I still have all the feelings that I had as a a child, the feelings of like, well, you don't want to be a burden. You don't have the right to say this. You don't. What if she gets mad? What if I'm overreacting? What if I'm being... So really the work is to push through that and to tell myself I'm in therapy to for for me one of the things I'm working on is practicing being direct practicing communication where the stakes are pretty low yeah and what a perfect environment to try that with someone who you are paying money they have to like you <laughs> but i mean presumably you feel safe ish mm-hmm. as safe as you can in therapy um, and a couple things, I would say the fact that you are able to put all of this in a very well worded question means that you have 
a good you you know what it is that you're working on like you're yeah. able to articulate it so that's a big first step and second i and i'm I, katie's a therapist <laughs> but as someone in therapy i would say just say all of that to your therapist bring it to your therapist you could even say i sent in this question to a podcast with a couple very young hosts who are <laughs> quite wise beyond their years and just re- and I feel like your therapist would have a lot to say if you just brought that just exactly as you said it to us, to them. Yeah. And I say that to them a lot because people send in questions that are so well worded and well put together. And I'm like, as a therapist, I would love for you to tell me that if you were my patient like that, that yeah. gives me a lot of information. And that's something that I think a lot of people worry about is what is my therapist going to think? Are they going to judge me? Like all that stuff comes up, you know, but as a therapist, the more information you can give us, the better. Like right. if we can, we, cause we can't read your mind and we can't, we don't make assumptions. So it's like, we need to know what your thoughts are and what's happening and what you already know from the past that we don't know, the more that you can tell us the better. Mm-hmm. And so I think when it comes to some looking back at the question, so to be more honest with your therapist, I think something that can help is making some notes. Kind of, we talked about journaling and stuff, but like, if you break down a couple of the points you're wanting to make, like. I struggle with feeling vulnerable. It's hard for me to open up to you. I'm not sure why. Can we explore that? Maybe those are like your thoughts. Um, Then practice saying it out loud to yourself. Because sometimes the words that come across our lips the first time, we like shut down. Like I've even heard from people like we struggle to put to say the word like abuse or anxiety or assault, stress, whatever. It can be hard to say that word in applying it to ourselves. It can have like our own stigmas, right? And then we're like, oh shit, if I really say this out loud, that means that that's like really something I might be struggling with and I'm not really ready to accept that. So saying it aloud to yourself a few times first can kind of get you through those jitters so that when you say it, you can be present and hear what your therapist has to say back. And so I really think that that that's really my advice. And and it's okay to just let them know, hey, I'm having trouble opening up and trusting you. Because even knowing that, that gives us something to be curious about. That gives us something to ask you about. And it just moves the therapy forward, really. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I'll even say, okay, I feel like you're sitting there thinking X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, that's like feels very, very much like I'm just saying the thoughts as they enter my head. Um. But even that is sort of liberating because then she'll say, no, I'm not thinking that or here's what I'm thinking or whatever. Yeah, you're challenging those false beliefs or those faulty thoughts because we all have those. Right. And they're they're born out of something in our past. Where we're like we've built we've built like this whole city on things yeah. that we believe, but we don't necessarily have facts to support them anymore. And so checking that kind of erodes at the foundation of that unhealthy city that we've built and helps us rebuild a new healthier city. I don't know. I'm sticking with this analogy. I don't really know why. <laughs> no, I feel like it's working. It's good. <laughs> but but it's important. And that's that's really helpful. So yeah, as much as you can be honest, be honest. I feel like that that's really like back to Allison's point. That's really what we pay them for. That's really why we go into therapy. Um, you know, and trust me, they're going to they're going to hear you. They'll be it'll be fine. Um, we deal with it all the time. I feel a thousand times better when I do that with my therapist. Yeah, because then you get to like, you're you're checking those facts and you're also verbalizing how you really feel and it can be really empowering and validating. And I get to try out saying something that is so honest, it makes me uncomfortable mm-hmm. and with someone who then makes me feel so good for having said it. Like yeah. my worst fear that this person will stop loving me or whatever it is, you know, doesn't happen. Yeah. 
it's a safe space. And that's what's right. great. That's really what why therapy is so beneficial is it gives you that uh, space to try out things where in real life, the risk is too high. But in therapy, right. there there's legitimately like very, very minimal risk. And I only say minimal because like if you're the thing you don't want to say is I want to kill someone like we're going to have to report that. And there are some like limits. But when it comes to like being vulnerable, speaking about something that we think may might have happened or we have this thought and we think that you're assuming this about me, that it's a, it's a great safe space to hear their side. Are you thinking that? Do you hate me because of this? Are you judging right. me? Do you think I'm a bad person? Yep, all of that. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you so much for all your answers and for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for having me on. This was really fun. It was really, I mean, I I love talking about this stuff. So it was really great. I know. I'm like, we could talk forever. But where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Uh, Please uh, follow me on social media at Allison Rose. And I'm also on YouTube. I kind of, I was on a long time ago. And then I just recently started putting up some of my episodes. So please follow me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rose and just one L and Allison A-L-I-S-O-N. Um, my podcasts are Allison Rosen is your new best friend and childish. Uh, Allison Rosen is your new best friend comes out twice a week. It's a one-on-one interview on Monday and then a group panel show on Thursday. And childish is my parenting ish podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons. A lot of people who don't have kids listen to that one as well. Um, and I'm on Patreon and I'm on cameo, both of them just slash Allison Patreon slash Allison Rosen and cameo.com slash Allison Rosen. I feel like I did. I feel like that was a lot of spiel. You did the thing. That's okay. They'll be able to find you. <laughs> and I'll put some links. If you're watching this on YouTube, the links will be in the description. Um, and I'll put the link over to her podcast if you're watching or if you're just listening on the podcast app. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I hope that was and helpful, I lo- everybody. I would love to have you on my podcast. Of course. I'd love to be. I, just it. tell me when. We'll do it. You guys Perfect. stay tuned for that. Okay. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you. Why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know